Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you stopping by on this Monday, May, was it like 16th? Yeah, 16th? Is that right? It is May 18th, and okay, it is my son's seven-month um, birthday, I guess. So he's seven months today. Oh, nice. Congrats on that. My uh, my watch says the 13th, so I'm now five days behind. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how that happened. But uh, what to get into today, there was some news that broke Friday that's kind of old news at this point, but Borky and I recorded early in the morning, so it dropped afterward. Ole Miss lands a, uh, a really impactful transfer in Arizona State, uh, power forward. He's a forward. He played a lot of center at Arizona State. But Romello White, uh, that's a, a game changer for Ole Miss. We'll kind of talk about how Kermit Davis is, I don't know if quietly is the right word, but reshaped the roster fairly dramatically, and I don't feel like it's it's kind of like being contextualized in terms of just how drastic an overhaul it was. This Again, this offseason, we had a lot of live sports on this weekend. We had UFC, soccer, uh, some golf. As we, uh, as we were discussing off the air, I hardly watched any of that, but uh, – I don't know. This is another weekend where things started to feel like normalish again. I actually went to a uh, a bar in a restaurant this weekend after playing in a golf tournament Saturday. So I kind of felt like a normal human again, even though it was not not close to the same thing. What's up? Oh man, not much. I watched NASCAR. And I didn't even include that. I forgot about that one. I fell asleep a few laps into it. it. To each their own. Like obviously, people like different things. I'm not the biggest major league baseball guy. I don't hate it. It just regular season games on like a Wednesday afternoon in July. They just I, I don't get into them, you know. But I appreciate. Sorry, my little guy's squeaking today. He learned a new noise, and so you may hear it from time to time. Um, but I understand why people like it. So I'm not going to knock you for liking baseball. I'm not going to knock somebody for liking NASCAR. But oh my God, I like it was awful. It was easy to fall asleep to, but man, it, it, maybe it's because I don't appreciate the nuances of the sport. But it bored me to tears, man. I, I could not watch it. Like I tried just because you know it's the first event back and all this stuff. And like twenty minutes into it, I, I was ready to to like just go sit outside for a little while. It just it didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it may not even be a lack of appreciation for the for the details of it as much as it is a lack of understanding because that's one sport. Like, I joke about not knowing the rules to soccer and hockey, but, like, generally I do can kind of pick up most of the basics. NASCAR is something other than, you know, putting the key in the – do they have keys? Uh, whatever. To other than turning the car I don't think on, so. I don't know. They don't even have about. speedometers. Yeah, I see. I don't know anything about it. And so – well, now if there was one sport, like I almost did this as a content idea, but like I just really wasn't into the eye racing, and then I really just didn't think about it till it was too late. But I was going to get like Scary Gary or JT or someone to try to explain NASCAR to me. I actually thought of this segment, I think back in like February or something, when we had Gary on the radio show the first time and just watched a couple races. But then, of course, the pandemic hit, and like we didn't have races for a while. But like 
Talk about just not understanding a single thing about it. I feel like that would make it incredibly hard to watch because for someone who, I mean, I'm just like you, who doesn't know like the minutiae or any sort of detail about NASCAR, it's just a bunch of dudes going in circles around a track. And I know it's a hell of a lot more than that. I just don't understand it, so it's not going to be that appealing to me. That said, had I been sitting on my couch yesterday, I tried to play golf again Sunday and got rained on, but had I been sitting on my couch again for most of the day yesterday, I would have tried to watch it. I don't know how long I would have lasted, but I would be lying if I said I wouldn't have turned it on. I just I don't understand anything about it. But yeah. I, I can't complain. I gave it a shot. I, and it, it, you couldn't tell that there weren't fans there, so that was kind of nice. It, like, it didn't feel weird. Uh, watching the race, I guess it's just a sport where you don't even notice that they're there to begin with because the cars are so loud. It's not like, or there's not a moment in the race where like you need a big crowd presence on third down or something like that. So that wasn't weird, uh, them racing in front of nobody. I I do, here's here's your medical hot take for the day. I do think some of the mask stuff that we're doing and the celebration stuff that we're doing is uh, for optics only. Like, the Bundesliga also started this weekend, for example. Uh, I didn't watch it because I, you know, I value my time. But these guys are playing soccer. And it's not American football where you don't have to tackle your opponent to the ground. But there's body contact in soccer. Like, you're you're playing 90-minute games and you're running and sweating and bumping into your opponent, right? And after a goal was scored, they weren't allowed to high-five each other. Like, they're sharing locker rooms. They're on a field together. They've all been tested, right? So, like, do you really think the high five is going to be the difference in you being safe or not safe? Like, come on. I do think some of it's optics as well because I was actually going to use a different example that didn't necessarily pertain to sports. So I went to a restaurant this weekend, and uh, just out of the very off chance any narcs are listening to this podcast, I'm not going to like name the restaurant because of the very off chance I get in trouble. Uh, if there are any narcs listening to this, just turn it off now. You're not welcome. But we, we like you. You had to have a mask to get in, but like once you got your food, obviously you can't eat with a mask on. Like it was very much very lax after that. So like going in and getting in line and getting the food. Like, you had to have the mask on. But after that, it was might as well. It just Like, it was almost for show after that. Because if you're going to get, a, like, a beer or something at the bar, which is, like, away from where the food is, it's the same concept, but they didn't seem to care as much you had the mask on then. But, like, walking in the initial line and getting the food, you had to have it on. So, like, I'm sure, I mean, obviously, they're abiding by regulations is why they're doing it. But some of it does feel like optics just because, I mean, like... Why not wear it everywhere, I guess, if that makes sense. But, yeah, I do right. think of it. But, I mean, if that's what it takes to uh, to just, I guess, give off the illusion to people that are uneasy about things coming back or whatever, I don't really care. The masks are kind of annoying. Oh, yeah, I'm fine with it. Small price to pay. Let's, uh, let's just start locally and get the old Miss story out of the way here because it is something that uh, – We've just missed timing-wise on the podcast on Friday, but Ole Miss basketball, Kermit Davis lands another impactful transfer. And grad transfer, Romello White from Arizona State. I actually watched a good bit of this kid at Arizona State last year just because, I mean, Arizona State was a pretty prominent Pac-12 team, your classic Thursday and Sunday night games and nothing going on. For whatever reason, I just watched a decent bit of Pac-12 and for whatever reason, a, a decent bit of Arizona State. But this is a really impactful transfer. This is a kid that's long, played some center at Arizona State, uh, is really more of a power 40, 6'8", 235, originally from Atlanta. 
He averaged what? About a little over 10 points and eight rebounds per game last year. Yeah, 10.2, 8.8. So almost nine rebounds a game a season ago. Immediately eligible. This is a big deal because this is a guy that's going to come in and start right away. And I guess just him alone, before we kind of get into how the roster has been remolded uh, completely, this kind of continues to fit that pattern. Like Kermit Davis all season long, it's interesting. Like Andy Kennedy, sometimes when he was co- like when he was the coach here, he would he would kind of subtly give jabs about like what was wrong with the team or like you know what a player's deficiencies were. Kermit Davis just kind of lays it all out there, like and it doesn't really try to hide it. Or not that AK sugarcoated things, but AK could subtly get a message out there where Kermit's a little more blunt. And we've talked about this before on this show, but he just said a number of times this year that this team didn't have the mindset that they were good dudes, but they just didn't really have the mindset or the toughness to uh, to win in the SEC. They just didn't have that killer instinct. And I know that sounds like coach speak, but it translates to stuff on the floor, like being a bad road team. They don't rebound well. They don't really handle things under pressure well. Like when adversity kind of hit, they would just kind of fold up like a chair. Like he mentioned that a bunch this year and getting a kid like this and the way he plays just continues to kind of fit into the theme that, well, one, in a world where college basketball and where basketball in general is going to all guards, it does kind of crack me up that Kermit's like, no, please just give me the six, eight forward. And to his credit, he's really good at it. I mean, that's kind of how he produces all of his offense for most of his career. But uh, aside from that, this just kind of fits in line with the toughness and 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 kind of changing attitude that he would like this team to have because you know he loves to say that his teams take on an identity and he made it a point last year a number of times to say that last year's team just simply did not take on his identity as a coach. And to his credit, I mean, there's also an elite level guard coming in as well. So yeah, he, he like you said, runs his system and his program through uh, big. Well, not big, but six foot eight forwards that that'll get physical and rebounded and play, uh, I guess, dirty basketball, if you will, a physical style of play. But it, I think that answers the question. I asked it a few months ago, I think, uh, when I first uh, started joining you on this podcast about everybody else in the SEC has hired a coach that seems to recruit well. I mean, that the league's, the coaching prowess of the SEC has really increased, especially in recruiting. And, uh, you know, make your jokes. What? What do you think about that, huh? What do you think? Um, and make your jokes about Will Wade, for example. But the, the league is getting better at recruiting. And the question was, can Kermit Davis, uh, who was at middle for a long time, has never been at a big-time program, really, uh, for a long time, um, hasn't been able to recruit nationally, let alone actually done it. Can he do it at Ole Miss, which in spite of the new building, which is really, really nice. And in in spite of the practice facility, which is also nice. And uh, the fans have seemed to bought in a little bit more on basketball since the new buildings open and stuff like that. It's still a really difficult job. Uh, The state doesn't really produce basketball players. It's hard to get big time atmospheres uh, here uh, that often. And it's just not the best job in the world. So can he recruit uh, to be competitive in this league? And the aforementioned elite-level guard comes in, and then he has this, uh, I mean, one of the better graduate transfers in the country. I mean, a a double-double guy that makes 58% of his shots. I mean, this is a big physical guy that's efficient and experienced. It's This is a huge pickup for to show that he not only can he recruit a high-level high school prospect 
he's now getting elite level transfer guys as well. This is a big deal. Yeah, and it's also even on the defensive side of things outside of rebounding, this is going to help a lot with length in that one three one zone they like to use. But you mentioned the elite level guard with the way the roster's kind of been reshaped. Now, I I was trying to go one through five and just throw out a starting five in May last week. Like I did this before the radio show Friday, uh, just when the news came out. And I think Matthew Morell is going to be a bench kid, or at least start off as a bench guy. I mean, my five was Joyner at the one, Shuler at the two. I guess that could be vice versa. But for everything I've heard, I think uh, Joyner will probably play point guard. And then you're probably going to have Demencio Vaughn as your three, White as your four, and Hadim C as your five. So that leaves a bench of K.J. Buffin, Luis Rodriguez, Blake Henson, Matthew Morell, and Austin Crowley. That's a... Uh, that's that's deep not bench. too shabby. I mean, yeah, I mean, it it, it feels kind of like it, it feels a little more difficult, more difficult to prognosticate this team and say that well, they're an NCAA tournament team again. Well, I think they are, and I know that was kind of said last year, but it just, I mean, last year on paper they looked like it too. Just a couple of the guys didn't pan out, but I mean, credit to him again. He's reshaped the roster once again, and I would like even on paper. I like this team more than I like last year's team on paper going into it. I, I think yeah, the difference is you have a couple guys that have done it and have done it for a while. And if Joyner can be kind of just some semblance of the scoring threat, Brian Tyree, or I was asking him to come in and fill Tyree's shoes and everything he did, just kind of ridiculous. But if he can be a good productive guard along with the senior, Devontae Shure, they should have a pretty good team that's pretty deep. I can promise you, whether they suck or they're successful, they're going to rebound better and they're going to defend a hell of a lot better than they did last year. And this just kind of further exemplifies that. And so I think I think they're probably done. I think this is the team they're rolling with. A couple more guys got to go. You can probably guess who they are. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is a reshape in the midst of a global pandemic where you can't really get out and go see guys. I mean, this is this – is, Fairly impressive by Kermit Davis. They had a, a bad year last year where they, I mean, a couple of kids that he recruited that they were trying to, they like, were planning on counting on just didn't really pan out. You know, Luis Rodriguez got hurt, whatever, but he, he's responding at least. Like he's, I mean, he's like, they're not keeping the status quo based on an off year last year. Like he's, he's definitely changing things up and continuing to, uh, to try to make this team tougher and more one. Like he wants this team to be an elite, obviously more elite level than of talent than he had at middle Tennessee, but that same type of toughness where the offense kind of runs through your, your athletic four, you know, three, four men, whatever swing guys. And he's on the path to doing that. But yeah, this was a massive pickup for Ole Miss. I mean, there's really no way to mince words with it. I mean, he, this Ravello white is going to start, and going to play a pretty big role in this team. And he's already done it in a major Power 5 conference for three seasons. So this was a big deal for them. I think there there is kind of some momentum rolling over there in that building. Which is remarkable, isn't it? Considering, as you mentioned, the season they just had was not good. I mean, you could call it a step Not back only was it bad, know. it was kind of drug out. Like, it just kind of felt like they were tired of it. And just, it, 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 it felt very long and very drug out. Like, you can have bad years where you just don't catch breaks, but... Just the way they lost games and as bad as they were on the road, it was just kind of a long, miserable season, it felt like. Yeah, and so uh, I had somebody text me yesterday asking if this was the most talented Ole Miss basketball team on paper uh, ever. What would your response be? My response would be that I'm too young to probably accurately answer that. 
Well, but, if we're being honest here, man, there's not many teams to choose from. So yeah, no, no, I know, but still, like, I, I just even those, like, as, in terms of what talent was back then, even those Keith Carter teams and all of that, you know, the Sweet Sixteen team in 2001 or whatever. I don't know a ton about them, but I mean, I think if you're going the last two coaches, Andy Kimeny, Kermit Davis, what's the most talented team in that those two eras? This is, certainly has an argument. I mean, that 2012-2013 team, Ole Miss was pretty good but i don't think in terms of just talent on paper they were as talented as this one so i'd say yeah in the last 15 years probably so i think i don't know it's always such a tough subjective question question to answer but they're definitely in the running i think but and some experience too i mean that's the most important thing right it's you've got guys that have done it and although shuler struggled last year i mean he doesn't have to bear the brunt of of the leadership or experience anymore, does he, with this guy? I know he's new, but, I mean, dude's played, uh, what, 64, 95 Division One games at the Power 5 level in his career. Yeah, no, I, I see, I kind of see where you're going with that, but that actually brings up an interesting point of who is going to kind of, like, the last year's team kind of lacked a vocal leader, it seemed like Tyree a little bit maybe slid into that role as the season went on and kind of that sense of urgency that strikes every senior in the final days of their career hit hits. But like they just really kind of lacked a vocal leader. And Devontae Shuler is a great player, great defender, is v- very valuable for that team. But that's just not really in his DNA and his makeup to kind of be the more vocal kind of guy. Uh, so who comes into that role? Is it Rodriguez? Is it Romello White? I, I don't know. But that's going to be kind of fascinating in terms of who becomes – like, it's such it's such cliche, like team spokesman, whatever. Who's going to kind of be the guy? And you have one on every basketball team, and I think it's more important to have in basketball than just about any other sport that's just kind of the more vocal, vocal out front leadership guy. I don't know who that's going to be, uh, but I think they're going to certainly need that. And I don't know, like this isn't really a knock at Sure, I don't think it's him just because that's not doesn't really seem to be how he is wired. But that'll also be kind of something interesting to follow as this team – goes through preseason and gets early early on into its season. When when will you kind of see that pop out, and, and who will it be? I think it might be Luis, but I could be wrong. But anyway, so that's, uh, that is the Ole Miss transfer news from Friday. Romello White grad transfer. Ole Miss beats Vandry in Georgia. I think I have that right out over him. He's All an right, Atlanta kid. Sorry His about that. Oh, you're good. His friendship with KJ Buffin played a big role in it, or played a decent sized role in it, I should say. But yeah, this is a big pickup for Ole Miss. So outside, oh, I've got to do this though. I've got to do this if the season even happens. That is true. If there's no <laughs> welcome, I I I don't want to call myself a hero, but uh, you know somebody's got to do it. If you delay, okay, but no, what no one's talking about is if you delay the college football season at all, what does that mean for hoop season? That just means it goes on as schedule? Because, I mean, obviously, you can't really control it, but it seems to be less than ideal for college hoops to, uh, to like, to run. In, like, if, it, if college football gets delayed, college hoop season, if it starts on time, just running alongside college football for even longer seems less than ideal for that sport, but it's probably just a natural casualty of it. I just wonder if football gets delayed, is basketball delayed at all? I wonder if they should delay it anyway. I mean, I guess, you know, March Madness, you, you've got to – you can't push the season back much further, but um, I wonder if they're thinking about that. 
just starting the basketball season a little bit later. And I know they want to pretend that it's about student athletes or whatever, but you don't have to compete against football as much. And I know they, they mostly play midweek games and stuff, but there's nobody, I say nobody, it is hard to follow college basketball while football's going on. And if you moved your date a little bit to where the the less of your season uh, conflicted with football, maybe there's a benefit there? I don't know. So if football gets pushed back, what if it's a, a similar thing that you're going to see in the NBA and they just kind of decide, you know what, we should start later? Yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of, like if they start. I mean, I, they could never do like they don't have the flexibility that the NBA does to where I would say, why don't college basketball just start January first? That's when people start paying attention anyway. But they don't really have the flexibility to do that. But I see what you're saying. Maybe move it back a couple weeks. I don't know. I I find it like it's like college basketball. You go in and out for the early part of the season, like Thanksgiving week. You kind of tune into Maui and some of those tournaments. And then it feels like right around Christmas again, maybe when there's a lull in the bowl season, you kind of have some good. Uh, on-campus matchups in non-conference games in those little week, week, two-week period, and then you don't really tune back in until mid-January once football, college football ends. In February and March are kind of basketball's month. But I don't know, just a thought. But it maybe it starts on time. I don't know. I would uh, <laughs> let's figure football out first and then get the rest. I'll tell you what is not uh, being pushed back, and it is always uh, open. And there for you is LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go check them out. It's grilling season. We had beautiful weather for most of the weekend uh, this past weekend. I got absolutely drenched in a rainstorm on the golf course yesterday. It only lasted about 10 minutes, but I had no umbrella or rain gear. and just got absolutely destroyed. But go check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Steaks, custom cut sausages. Greg's got it all over there for you. I promise you, if you want to go throw something on the grill, go buy LB's. You will not regret it. Uh, grill packs, the ribeye sausage is one of the finer delicacies in life. Lane train special, Keith Carter special, eight and ten or eight and six ounce bacon wrap fillets. Greg's got all kinds of stuff over there. I'm telling you, you should go check them out. If you don't believe me, go to his Twitter page at LB's underscore meats. You will be hungry. There's always some sort of delicious cut of meat. I've seen uh, old resident Ole Miss golf coach Chris Malloy wearing out the LB's meats on the grill lately. He's been posting a bunch of stuff, and it makes me hungry. It makes me want to go grill. But go check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We had live sports this weekend, and we had a number of live sports to choose from. But as I told you before we got on air, I didn't. I wasn't exactly the greatest viewer this weekend. I played golf Friday and Saturday and tried to play Sunday before he got rained on. So I wasn't watching a ton of stuff. I caught the back nine of the, what's the name of the Wolf Fowler, Rory, Rory DJ yeah. match. Like it, I thought it was the Seminole skins game. Wasn't it? Okay. Something like that. I don't know. I, I, I know it had a name. I just couldn't think of it. I caught basically the back nine of that. I caught little pieces of the front nine while we were waiting out the weather and all that, but whatever. Uh, and then I didn't watch the UFC card just cause I was out doing other stuff on Saturday. Uh, no NASCAR or soccer for me. So basically, it was just golf for my viewing uh, pleasure. But just having a multitude of live sports on your television in a given weekend, even though it may not be all the ones you prefer, is definitely a good sign and a hell of a lot further along than where we were just four weekends ago or hell, even two weekends ago. Man, it is. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about golf without fans 
It, that's the, the whole time I was watching, it, it felt like of the sports that have started, that was the one where I felt it the most. And maybe it's simply because they, they had limitations in the broadcast and the guys were carrying their own bags. And by the way, I, golf Twitter, I think, is the most insufferable sports Twitter on the Internet. It depends on the time. It can be. It, I, I, know, I don't know exactly where you're going with this, but continue. But I agree. It depends on, on when and what topic, as most sections of Twitter well, are. But keep going. They were just roasting the broadcast. And I just I wanted to say to these people, what do you think they are supposed to do? Like, there's no precedent for this whatsoever. Like, yeah, they kept Bill Murray on too long. But they had no idea how this was going to go. Like, there's a pandemic going on. The dudes are carrying their own bags. Like, you can't really be on the course. They had cameramen, but it was different. Like, sorry that they tried to be entertaining during just four guys on a golf course by themselves, and it, like, didn't live up to your standards. But good freaking luck having any idea what to do when you're broadcasting a unique event during a unique time. Like, somebody in the producer's truck should have not let Bill Murray stay after the break. Like, that was probably a bad call. But if you're just roasting the broadcast when they've never done anything like this before, like, just get over yourself. Sorry. No, I agree. I mean, when we first, like, when we start, when the, the first kind of plans started getting leaked to have live sports come back, we were talking about on this show what they were going to be like. And, like, I kind of pointed this out, and you were in a agreement too I think that when it was just kind of like look when this comes back there's going to be screw-ups and it's not going to be perfect but I'm not going to complain about it because it's an impossible situation a lot of the time I mean they like you said it's unprecedented I was just in the camp of like I'm not going to complain about anything for a while as long as there's sports on television that said I do think the broadcast missed an opportunity uh to kind of highlight more of the golf course because you had so much dead time because obviously it's only one group and like uh, there's a long time in between them hitting shots with them walking to their ball and all that. All the pace of play wise, they were rolling, it seemed like for the most part. But anyway, I thought they missed an opportunity to kind of show how cool the golf course is and what makes that place so beautiful and so exclusive and luxurious and all that. Uh, Will Bardwell uh, actually has a piece uh, I would go encourage you to read at lying4.com that he wrote a long time ago. I say a long time ago, like six, seven months about how Seminole Golf Club is going to half of it uh, is probably going to be underwater soon in the coming decades because of its relation to sea level and like near the shoreline on the beach. So that fascinating stuff. But there's a lot of things that make that golf course interesting. And I feel like they missed an opportunity with all of their downtime to highlight some of it. Like th for golf nerds in particular, watching stuff like that, I think they would appreciate more like architectural type stuff and explaining each hole and how it was created and, I don't know, just something more. That was my one gripe with it. But again, not going to complain. Like what? Do you, like you said, what are you going to do? But yeah, outside of that, I really didn't mind it. Like I, I don't know what else you expect. I mean, it's four guys, one group. There's a ton of dead air time to fill. You can't really have your normal on-course interviews. I mean, it was really weird seeing the on-course guy who name is escaping me for whatever reason right now. Like having one of those big mics that picks up sound from a long way. So just awkwardly standing six, seven feet away from him while he's like trying to interview them. Like it's a tough situation. Like I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I thought the broadcast did a good job. I missed the whole Bill Murray thing. Cause I, like I said, I only caught the back nine by the time I got home. Apparently president Trump was on there as well. And that, I mean, it, 
Well, the echo chamber of Twitter got so mad about that. And was I mean, Trump actually on there, or was it like a recorded message? He, I don't he know. was on the phone. Okay. And it very well could have been pre-recorded, but but it was on the phone, and I, I was messing around with little guys. So I didn't really get to listen to all of it, but man, Twitter just got so mad, and it's like, uh, the, I, I forget what publication it was, called it a huge mistake, and I think Awful Announcing said it isolated some of its viewers, and I just I wanted to just sit down with them and say, hey guys, first of all, who do you think's watching golf? Because their demographics probably skew in favor of him to begin with, but also most people don't really give a shit. Like, of course, like when Barack Obama did his NCAA tournament brackets, people were like, oh, he should be running the country, but largely nobody really cares. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's the president. That's kind of cool. Whatever. The same thing happened yesterday. 99% of people thought, ah, well, you know, he probably should be doing something else, but whatever. It's a phone call. Who cares? Who cares? And people just get so so mad and they, I guess they just don't understand golf. I mean, it's, golf it's just kind of, yeah, it's just kind of, I mean, it's, I mean, it's expected with a, pol- a president that's as polarizing as Trump is like, obviously anytime he appears anywhere, there's going to be backlash. There's going to be people that like it. that don't like it with the Obama thing. I always thought it was cool having a president that was a sports fan. So I liked the whole ESPN filling out the bracket yeah, I thing. I loved it. It's cool. Man. It was it's cool. President. Yeah. But like this like I feel, I felt like behind when I got home and watched it because I got, I unfortunately opened up the Twitter app for the first time uh, all weekend and saw that there are people mad at Bill Murray and there are people being mad at Trump and I was like, well, we still got nine more holes left of this thing. Like, what else is in store for us? Like, I, I felt like I was playing catch up. I didn't fully understand what was going on, but yeah. So Trump and Bill Murray is probably too much to have in nine holes. Just saying those two personalities. So Bill Murray basically just decided he wasn't done talking and he was going to stay after the commercial break. I, I guess somebody decided that they were going to keep him through because I mean you could just hang up the phone. You know you can when you hit break you say hey thanks Bill and, and be done with it. But they kept him on through the break and it, it just it wasn't good and they they weren't focusing on the golf when shots were going on. It just it was a bad call. But man, as you mentioned, when it's four guys on the course by themselves and you have limitations in broadcast. You've got to fill the time. And so they were probably thinking in their production meetings, while we're while these dudes are slowly walking down the fairway and we've got nothing to say, uh, people like Bill Murray, right? Let's get him on the phone. And that's where something like that comes from. And I, don't, I mean, it's just not as bad as people wanted to say it was. It was it went on too long. But it's not like this was Carl Ravitch's kid bringing on dad to talk for 20 minutes in the middle of a NCAA tournament baseball game. You know, this was Bill Murray talking during a charity golf tournament. Like, not the same thing. Guys like Bill Murray and Bill Walton, at the stage of life they're currently in, they make me question if whether or not I have peaked in life yet. Some might think I peaked in high school when I finally got in a college, I got in a game and scored uh, a legal basket. Some might think I peaked when I graduated college. But I don't think I've peaked yet. I think I'm going to peak when I get to that stage of life to where you're old and can pretty much do whatever the hell you want if you act like you're halfway in your right mind, but not really. And I feel like Bill Walton and like Bill Murray are just kind of straddling that line so they just get away with anything, like you know, talking through a commercial break or half of the shit that Bill Walton says on television. Like I, I was listening to a podcast not too long ago with Rachel Nichols, and she was uh telling this story about how they had Bill Walton on the jump in studio. And when they got done, like they were coming back for a commercial break and they couldn't get him off the set. 
And so all of a sudden he just saw this photo on the wall that he likes. And he was like, I'm going to take that. And of course, like, you can't do that. Like it's ESPN's photo. And he just took, put it, uh, like took it off the wall and took it out there with him. Like, I mean, who's going to stop, you know, 60 some odd year old Bill Walton from just stealing this photo off the wall. I feel like Bill Murray's in the same camp. He's kind of the out there guy. You don't know if he's still all there in the head. They get away with anything. So when I get to that stage and I'm an old man, I'm going to get away with anything I want to. <laughs> Thoughts. I'm uh, I'm just I know I'm never going to be famous or cool enough to do something like that. I don't even think you have to be famous or cool. I think if you're just old and you act like you're kind of still halfway together, but maybe not all the way, like a little wild card to you, you can get away with whatever the hell you want. I don't even think you have to be famous. So uh, I don't think I've peaked yet. I think I'm going to peak when that happens. Like, I think it's like when you first retire, like six, 65 ish, like pretty much you can get away with whatever you want to. So that uh. I liked it though. It was an interesting match. It was really compelling. It came down the stretch. It was very, uh, it was uh, very, I guess, uh, comforting to see three professional golfers have 120 yards wedge shots and one of them missed the green, or no, two of them missed the green. You only had two yeah. on the green, so that was nice. Uh, I like the fact that it came down to that. I thought that was cool. Uh, Wolf hits like a very average shot. Ricky just like I think he like thinned it over the green. DJ dumped it in the bunker, and then Rory hit a really good shot that won it for him because that last skin was worth, like, what, 600K or whatever. But uh, seeing two professional golfers dump wedges in a bunker and over the green was comforting. But all in all, I thought it was pretty good. Like, it was better quality of golf than when the first Tiger Phil thing we got. It's just kind of both of them having a bad day, I guess. Uh, DJ almost seemed like it sometimes he had somewhere to be. I, I, I saw that comment made a couple of times, and I agreed. He was playing incredibly fast. I think he was playing like shit and just wanted to get out of there. But uh, I liked it for the most part. Cool course. They played pretty well. I thought it was pretty compelling stuff. And most importantly, I appreciate them trying. And, of course, it was for charity, so they didn't have to try. Like, it's a cool event. But I, I just I appreciate them putting on something. It was just I, nice on Sunday. I was supposed to do yard work and it rained a little bit, so I couldn't. And I just I put on golf for a little bit, which would is what I would have done yesterday if coronavirus never happened. So I just I appreciated the ability to do it for a little while. I uh, I agree, and I'm looking forward to the uh, Tiger Peyton. I mean Peyton Brady Tiger Phil thing. Is that next weekend or in a couple weeks? It's next weekend. Am I being Max Kellerman if I say I'm not exactly looking forward to that? I think it's no, going to be shitty. The, the, first, the first one didn't do a ton for me, but having something like this, like, like the twosome thing was cool, but it would have, it would have, it, it, to me, it emphasized their play more because it's only two of them that's head to head and they both played that crap. And you're like, this is kind of boring after a while. With four people, there's a lot going on, and two of them being, you know, football celebrities. I think it's going to be interesting. And I think Phil's entertaining. I think Peyton's entertaining. Like Brady's actually funny when he wants to be. I think this is going to be more entertaining than that. So watching this, even though it was for tour pros this weekend, got me a little more excited for that, if that makes sense. I just think with four people, there's going to be a lot more going on. So I'm trying to – I was kind of like you. I'm, I was closed-minded after the first one was kind of a dud. But now that there's four people, I'm, I'm going to try to open my mind a little bit. I'm going to go, on, go, go at this with a clean slate. But yeah. if it stops, and When, when does the actual the tour start it. back up? What's the first day? I believe, without looking this up, I believe it is the weekend of June 13th and 14th in Fort Worth, Texas. It's middle of June. The 11th. 11th, okay. At Colonial, yeah. So they've got plenty of time, too, to iron out some of the broadcasting stuff. I imagine by then 
um, complete non sequitur, but I think it applies. I saw a headline over the weekend that there are more tests than people needing them right now, which is a really good thing. So that means you could conceivably have more people around the property and golf tournaments and potential NBA games and stuff like that without fans, that you could have more people around because you have more availability for tests. And so that means better broadcast quality, uh, more cameras, more angles, you know, more people to make it work and function. Yesterday, while it was good, um, they're just they were still limited because they didn't they wanted to keep as few people out there as possible. But if we keep moving forward and there's an abundance of tests and whatnot, you can test more people and have more people on the property to make the broadcast even better. So they've got a month to figure that out. I'm looking forward to the tour starting, and I think it'll be better than yesterday as far as the actual broadcast goes. And quick, go ahead, actually. I've got one more thought on this thing before we move on. I was just saying, kind of outlining that, it, like, I, I did see, I saw a news story that professional bull riding is actually going to return in South Dakota, I think in July, and actually have fans in the stands. It's going to be filled at 30 to 35%, much smaller level, much smaller sport, but just kind of along the, the fan lines and all of that, uh, like in progressing towards that. I thought that was an interesting nugget. Yeah, it's a state that hasn't been really hit all that hard either, but uh, I mean, to at some point, and maybe we're very far from that. Uh, but at some point, there's going to be an element of people have to make their own decisions. And at some point, it's going to be, we're going to start letting fans in stands before there's a vaccine. Like, that's going to happen. I, I, I guarantee that's going to happen. At, at some point, they're going to decide um, to let people risk it. Uh, let people weigh the the probability of getting sick or not and, and then show up to these events and, and it's going to happen maybe not in college football but you've already got a, a professional sports organization albeit a small one that is allowing people to make their own decision and weigh their own risk for themselves and at some point every league is going to reach that threshold and, and we're going to decide uh, to let people make their own decision and if it means you don't let them in without a temperature check, if it means you you force everybody to wear masks, like yesterday, I went to the grocery store. Um, it was a fresh market, and there's a sign in front of the building that says "Do not enter without a mask on." And this this hard ass walked right by the sign without a mask on and walked inside. And then a, an employee said, "Sir, we can't let you in without wearing a mask." And he pitched a fit and started. Oh, well, you, you can't tell, you know, it just acted like an asshole. Um, it was you think he went in there hoping that was going to be the case? Because I think so. Yeah, he was looking for a fight. <laughs> of course he was. Um, but you can do that. So maybe that'll be where what it takes. But at some point, it's going to have to be people deciding for themselves whether or not they're comfortable being around other people without a vaccine. So anyway. Also, the, the last thing on this golf thing that I've been thinking about, people are prisoners of the moments. I don't know if you saw this as well. Like, the rangefinder thing doesn't bother me. If you want to let tour players use rangefinders, that's fine. Uh, maybe it'll speed up the rounds. I doubt it because they're just that meticulous, but maybe it will. But the people that were like, let them carry their own bags. Why do we need caddies? What's wrong with you? Uh, I didn't see people going that far. I'm not 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 disputing that it happened because, I, like I said, I was pretty removed from the. And once I opened Twitter and saw the complaining about the Trump thing and Murray, I was like, I'm just going to enjoy this. I'm not going to open up my phone for the rest of this. Uh, 
I, I, I saw a lot of, like, let these guys wear pants. I agree with that part. I agree with the rangefinder part. I do think having rangefinders would help speed up pace of play because you're not having, particularly when dudes hit it off the map, you're not having caddies yeah. step off 45 yards from wherever they marked it on their card. I think that would help that. But at the same time, I actually, like, I actually like I, I I would hear an argument about how no don't let them have rangefinders. Part of the challenge for these professional golfers is stepping off the yardage accurately, but they've got it down to such a fine tune, like science almost. Yeah, they that, know like, exactly the how far they are from the freaking hole. But that to me is one of the more impressive things about it is when you hear, when you get the caddy uh, player dialogue on a broadcast, and of course the broadcast has the exact yardage, and it's like it's one sixty two to the pin, probably paying one sixty six sixty seven, and then you hear the caddy going, it's one sixty one to the pin, probably paying one hundred and sixty eight yards with this win. Like they have it down literally to the yard. It's w- wildly impressive. I don't know where I fall on that. I could hear an argument either way. Uh, I didn't see people saying no caddies. I don't think that'll ever happen. I like it that tour players have caddies, and it's like a teamwork type of thing. So I don't think that'll ever happen. Let these dudes wear shorts. We're gonna go play the PGA in Oklahoma a couple years a couple years from now in May. Like, let the dudes wear shorts. They don't need to be wearing pants out there. I, uh, I think, I don't know. You wear shorts at every other level of golf. Like, for the people that say it looks unprofessional, like I watch the USAM every year or the US Junior Am or the NCAA Championships. Like, those guys look like very good professional like players, and like the fact that they're wearing shorts and I can see their knees does not change that. I think the pants thing is dumb. Yeah, I don't understand it either. It looks fine. And uh, that's like one of those things in sports that just the old people can't let it go. Are there people still around? Like, I just like, where is the crowd that's like, I hate that these guys wore shorts? I get get it. If they are old, they're probably not on the internet, which is where all these dissenting opinions get voiced. But like, I just, does that person still really exist? I'm not saying they don't, but like, <laughs> I'll throw this out there for you. Do you think Augusta National would allow yeah, the pros no. to? No, that's a good point. There's your demographic. Those yeah. people, the the holier than thou golf crowd. Uh, no, I get it. Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good point. But I just come on. <laughs> what it's ridiculous. What, what's the difference? It's what is it? A tw- twenty four inches or so of fabric that's covering up their calves? Like, come on, hey, come on. Yeah. Well, just I feel bad for him. Like, like I mean, back when the St. Jude was in June, I'd go up there and like I'm in shorts and like probably a much more comfortable shirt than they're in, and like you know I'm sweating out the silver bullet tall boy I'm walking around with. I can't imagine how terrible these guys feel with pants on. I just like let these dudes wear shorts. I mean, the caddies can wear shorts. Why can't the players? So anyway, yeah. Uh, all in all, pretty entertaining weekend on the golf course. The other thing we had. To get to today, have you caught up on the last dance, or are you still behind? I did watch last night, uh, and by the way, I don't. I, I probably, I guess people knew this was coming. Uh, Memphis is playing at Ole Miss in basketball this year in early December. Just got announced. Uh, the yeah, because they went up to FedEx last year. That makes uh, so that just got announced. Yeah, let's see. It was December third, I think, third or fifth. I'm going to piece together what their non-conference schedule is to uh, December 5th so far and go through it maybe on Wednesday's show because they've got some interesting games. But uh, So Last Chance, uh, the final two episodes of the Last Chance documentary aired last night. It is now over. I uh, Incredibly well done. I mean, just uh, amazing. I mean, I, I can't imagine how hard it is to make a documentary and the people that make those 30 for 30s are incredibly impressive to me. Mm-hmm. This one was amazingly 
put together. It was well done. It's entertained me for what? I guess it's four or five Sundays now. Yeah, I guess it's five Sundays, two at a time. Five Sundays, yep. Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed every second of it. I'm sad it's over. I thought it was incredible. And for someone who doesn't remember any of the Michael Jordan stuff, hardly because I wasn't old enough, I have now a better idea of just how, like, ruthless of a guy that he was and just kind of what made him uh like what made him what many can people consider to be the greatest basketball player of all time i loved every second of this as far as notes last night here's just the random notes i wrote down like last week uh <laughs> the black jesus comment to reggie miller was hilarious jordan was <laughs> shit talking reggie miller and said basically don't like come at black jesus and <laughs> reggie miller from then on out was like i never referred to him as michael after that you know, you always heard about what a great shit talker he was or whatever, but just a wild comment. I, I enjoyed that greatly. Uh, another one with MJ, they eliminate, so the, they made a, a big, and rightfully, so a big deal of like the Pacers being the team that really pushed the Bulls to the brink more so than any other team throughout this run in 98. But how about him just beating, he beats them in a game seven, Larry Bird's their coach. He sees Bird in the hallway and he calls him a little, uh, B word and then says F you. And he just yeah. ca- he's doing it playfully, but he's just casually saying F you, you know, all that to Larry freaking bird. Like just wild. Uh, the, like like the alpha of the alphas, if, if you could tell Larry Bird to uh to F off and call him a little, you know what, like that's uh that's alpha stuff. But I know they're friends and all that and it was playful, but I, I found that hilarious. I was like, he just said that to Larry Bird just casually in passing, told him to go work on his golf game because his season's over. <laughs> I loved that. Uh, another note I had. So MJ's kind of having, kind of had, it shows that the MVP award has not changed much through the years. MJ had a couple of the same, he should be MVP shenanigans as we have LeBron. Like one of the worst arguments ever in we have basketball wise is like, well, LeBron should be MVP everywhere. It's like, no, he shouldn't. The, like the MVP is a regular season award awarded to the greatest, the player who's had the best regular season. Like LeBron has not had the greatest regular season of any player in the NBA every year for the last you know 10, 12 years, whenever this argument got no, started. No, it, it needs to be, the, the award needs to be called something else. It, not MVP, but player of the year. Just most outstanding. Yeah, because when, when you get into like the actual words of MVP, it, it it says something different than the guy that had the best individual season because the most valuable player in the NBA for the last 12 years or whatever has been LeBron James. You take him off his teams and look at what they have been. They've been just awful. He Nobody has elevated their side more than him, but that's not how the award has been given. Like Russell Westbrook in his triple-double year deserved the player of the year, right? But if you took him off his team or took LeBron off of his team, who was more valuable to their team? Well, it's it's probably LeBron. It's The award's given differently than the words say it should be, but that's just splitting hairs for first take tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. And you had one, so like the nine, he had it really happen twice from everything I've gathered. Nine, 1993 with Charles Barkley, and that one seemed more legitimate, where Barkley absolutely had the best season, should have been awarded MVP, you know, uh, Jordan just kind of used it as a rational motivation. The 1997 debacle with Carl Malone getting MVP over Jordan in Jordan's second year back, second full season back from baseball, that seemed more a little bit like highway robbery from everything I've read in like context at the time. Apparently, that was just a bad one. Like Jordan actually should have won MVP that year and gave it to Malone. But like 
If I was Carl Malone, I would have handed Jordan the MVP trophy before that series. Like, I mean, any sort of tiny slight, this guy is going to take it to destroy you. And I just found it interesting that, like, you know, 20-some-odd years later, it's really the same thing. People argue about who should be the MVP, who shouldn't, and no one really has any idea how the award is given or how it should be given. Uh, I have another uh, stop pissing Michael Jordan off note. The the <laughs> Jazz rookie Brian Russell coming up to him while he's talking to Carl Malone saying, you quit because I you knew I could guard you. Talking about Michael Jordan quitting uh, basketball to go play baseball because uh, Brian Russell, I guess, entered the league. What are you doing, man? Like you, you know, at this point, this guy uses every single paper cut as just this gigantic, like slashing indictment on you, and he's just going to use it to destroy you. What are you doing? Like, why are people continually pissing this guy off? I don't understand this. This is like it's like career suicide. I don't understand it either. Uh, maybe they didn't know at the time that he was that much of a grudge holder, I guess. But still, like, what? Do, why are you chirping like that to the best current player in the league anyway? Like, uh, just if you think you can guard him, just go guard him and then talk shit. But, like, being a nobody talking shit to Jordan before you play him is just the du- – that's the dumbest thing you do at any level for the best player. That's like, even though they manufacture it now, but, like, the teams that – say Alabama's it's just another team just another game uh, well shut up no they're not don't say that kind of stuff same thing here like just they're the best if you think you can beat them just go do it before you say anything to them yeah I was just like it's just and I know that one was in 93 and the documentary going out of order and that may have been early enough on or no no that was 94 95 when he was out it's just at that point you like you, you would think you would know hey maybe don't piss this guy off but i guess in brian russell's defense that's michael jordan the baseball player he's talking to i guess he couldn't have known yet that he was coming back but uh i like that michael jordan didn't even address brian russell after he said that he just looked at carl malone and goes you're gonna do something about this guy <laughs> I just didn't even need to address it himself just like i'm not gonna give this guy the time of day the uh, I think the main like kind of wow moment of these last two episodes was the flu game pizza story. So I knew from Bill Simmons's book of basketball that the flu game was not actually the flu. Like I saw a bunch of people being surprised by that last night. I from stuff I'd read about it, I knew it wasn't the flu. I knew it was food poisoning. But they just casually dropped that line in there, and that that anecdote in there that. Jordan's uh, hanging out with, you know, his kind of entourage and 1030 at night, there's nothing open. He wants a pizza and five guys come deliver this pizza and the pizza just makes him violently ill. That's insane. Like it made it like this documentary has done a good job to let you decide some of the kind of like conspiracy unknown things around Jordan. But they seem like they really wanted you to think that he uh, he got food poisoned by some like Utah fans. Uh, over this pizza and I'm not saying it's not true but like they just kind of casually dropped that in there and I was like wait a minute I have never heard this story that he got delivered a pizza that just made him violently ill that was insane to me you, you must have not listened to pardon my take last week oh is that is that did they tell the pizza story on that yeah they had jo- Jordan's trainer on there and he told the story before the documentary came out I bet the documentary makers were pissed but uh yeah they um he told that story then I always wondered if it was actually the flu because if you really do have the flu, are they letting you play an NBA game? Yeah, and like that's that's lingering around longer. Like I don't know when game, what like what? You know, I guess that was was that game six or no? That was game three. Or hold on, Jordan. Now six. see this documentary's got me confused on time wise. I, that was the 1997 NBA Finals, but that was game 
it, point being, the flu game, game like five. I, game five, that's right, because that was the swing game in that series in Utah. But, yeah, I just, uh, I, like, if you have the flu, that's probably affecting you for the next game, too. So, I, I, and I, for everything I'd read, I knew it wasn't the flu, but that seemed like semantics. Flu, food poisoning, whatever. Like, in that moment, he felt like shit. Uh, and the, the note I had below this is, like, we love to come up with things as, like, hoaxes or he's overdoing or he's overreacting. Like, remember that time there was that kind of conspiracy going around that Schilling's bloody sock was actually paint, which was just not the case at all. It was someone making a joke that a reporter overheard. Uh, this was not a hoax. He looked like absolute shit. He looked terrible. Like, he, you could tell even from that footage they were showing last night, he looked horrible. I mean, the way he was, like, sweating is not even like a basketball sweat. He looked terrible. 44 minutes, 38 points. Uh, just another anecdote to how he's not really human. I mean, the, like, the biggest thing that I don't think gets talked about with some of these athletes is how they're just built differently. And I don't mean physically. Like, duh, they're physically built different. But, like, Jordan being able to score 30-something points in a game after he got drunk playing 36 holes of golf and that type of stuff. And a lot of these guys just don't sleep, like, he just another anecdote how he's not human. Forty four minutes, thirty eight points with flu- food poisoning. That to me is just insane. Do you think that it could be something other than food poisoning? I saw some people suggest, eh, joking, of course, that that's just their excuse for a super bad hangover. I said, I saw that, but like, there's I no way know. they're they're being serious, right? I, I well, mean, the whole thing was he doesn't get hangovers. If you've learned anything else in that documentary, <laughs> Michael Jordan does true. not get hangovers. So I just don't think that theory holds any water. Like, I mean, they've given you so many other instances there. This guy just does not get hungover. He just he's built differently. So I don't Man, know. If should I they have investigated the those five guys though? Like after they know he got food poisoning, it and how do they know? Also, that they're delivering a pizza to Jordan. Like, who failed in the line of get Jordan a pizza? Make sure they don't know that's who's getting it. You know? Like, sometimes big-time athletes like that don't need to be known like that you're the one giving them shit. Like, who told them? Like, hey, by the way, I need a, a large pepperoni for NBA superstar Michael Jordan. Please don't poison this pizza. It's really important that he plays tomorrow. Thank you. Like, what are you doing? How yeah, do they know? This feels like an athletic piece. Like, I want to know who those guys were. I want to know if a fake name was used to get the pizza. Or, I, there's no way they were dumb enough to be like, yeah, please bring this to Michael Jordan. But, like, yeah, I mean, I want to know how this happened. Like, they, they, I have so many more questions about this than we have answers. So maybe someone will get to the bottom of it. I just, like, who were those five they, dudes and what it, happened to them? Do you think what? they put something in it to get him sick? Was it done on purpose? That's the that's the biggest question from all of this. Was it done on purpose or not? I mean, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but are they putting that in there? I mean, the, the, if his trainer and the people with him seem to think that he got it from that, it had to be intentional. There's no way he just coincidentally got food poisoning when five dudes order a pizza. Like, it seemed very – yeah, I'm going to say it's intentional. I'll, I will go down the rabbit hole on this. Yes, intentional. Because what like what is there in pizza that you can – like? give food poisoning to somebody from you know i feel like that's one of those things that there's so few ingredients like what can get you sick in a pizza i mean i'm sure there's something that was probably a dumb question but it's not like it was like undercooked seafood or something yeah i uh i i definitely agree it's food poisoning the uh next note i had under it uh, Jerry Sloan said in his postgame presser he didn't know Jordan was sick. He's 100% lying. There's no way before game five of the NBA finals uh, that if Michael Jordan has as much of a sniffle or a cough that the opposing team does not know about it. I just wrote down that 
Like Jerry Sloan seems like a fantastic guy, incredible basketball coach. There's no way he's telling the truth there. He said in his post-game press conference that, oh, he was sick? I guess I'm the last one to know. Like, yeah, right, man. You knew Michael Jordan was sick. How how did uh, – I, I didn't understand that either. Like, yeah, how do, do you, you honestly expect that? us to believe that? <laughs> I mean, I get that's him in the moment and, like, he just doesn't want to deal with the story. Like, I get why he said that. But, like, anyone – there's no way anyone watched that even that night. Like, even the whoever asked the question. But no, one, any, no way anyone in that – room was like oh he didn't know like he definitely knew he's sick the uh steve kerr his father being assassinated i had always heard like the loose backstory of it but didn't understand why like the full context of it that was pretty crazy um that his dad was like taught middle eastern studies or middle eastern relations goes over to american university in lebanon is basically as part of a political thing is assassinated that's uh that's pretty wild and like Steve Kerr, like, pretty likable guy. Just very calm, cool, collective, had a lot of things going on in his life. Like, I get why he's very adamant about, like, gun violence and all of that now, I guess, to some degree. But, like, yeah. man, like, just really fascinating dude and just a terribly sad story. But I thought that uh, they they told that part uh, very well. The whole thing was done really well. But, yeah, uh, that was a really, really good segment. And he was an assassin, man. He was... Obviously, he wasn't Steph Curry before Steph Curry, but he was like he was that kind of shooter. When he took a shot, you expected the ball to go in. I remember, um, I don't remember the '98 Bulls. I was six years old, but I remember the tail end of his career when he was in San Antonio, and like, like he would come off the bench and he would come off the bench, take three shots, make them all, and then go right back to the bench. Like he was just this assassin, this three point assassin before we even really had those. Yeah, no, you're right. And, like, he, he would translate to the modern NBA day where he – because back then, if he took nine threes in a game, they would think he's an asshole and probably bench him. To where nowadays you take nine threes in a game and it's like nothing, particularly if you're a good three-point shooter. Steve Kerr would have – I mean, it's hard to say better career. But, like, I think he would have been more valued as a player in today's NBA. But, yeah, no, he was a really good shooter, a really clutch player, always just very calm, cool, collected. Him just kind of trolling Jordan in the 98 uh, – in the 98, or was it 97 or 98? Whatever it was when he hits the shot, I guess it was 98. Uh, him trolling Jordan in the, his parade speech saying he just has to bail Michael's ass out again was pretty great. I've seen that clip before. It wasn't anything new, but uh, always funny. Uh, Man, his sta- stats on those Chicago teams, by the way. So in 94-95, 52% from three. 95-96, 51% from three. 96-97, 46% from three. And then 44%, 97-98 for good measure. Yeah, and like, I mean, his percentage is going down if he plays today and taking more, but he's also making more shots. Like, I, yeah. he, he would have been incredibly more valued in today's NBA. The next, Dude, He note, made 52% of his shots and averaged eight points per game. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. <laughs> Now, like that's what that's it's hard watching some of these because it's being like that's just not how, not how basketball is played now, which is kind of crazy. The next stat I had the stat about Michael Jordan and the Bulls in their in their six championship runs eliminated seven sixty win teams from the playoffs. That is insane to me. Seven sixty win teams they knocked out of the playoffs. It only got forced to a game seven twice in the whole run. And they had to be motivated in one of those Game 7s. Their coach had to literally wake them up and be like, hey, you have to play today, okay? Like, focus, please. Like, they can actually beat you. I'm not kidding. That's always the flip side to a dynasty, too, is like, who did they rob of a championship? Like, it it is very possible that 
combination of LeBron, but mainly Golden State Warriors Rob James Harden of ever winning an NBA title. But like Jordan, I mean, you got Carl Malone, John Stockton, Reggie Miller, uh, Charles Barkley. I mean, he he he's got four or five Hall of Fame type talents that he just they never won a title because of Michael Jordan, which is just kind of absolutely insane uh, to think about. But knocking out seven sixty win teams just when you frame it that way is just bonkers to me. The uh, I thought maybe one of the more interesting parts of the documentary was like you, like they build him up as this like sub like this like like almost like not human type guy who doesn't really have any emotions and just this assassin and then they drop this story about his head of security Gus who like kind of clo- like became Jordan's closest friend gets cancer passes away from it like Jordan is the one that kind of pointed out that hey he's sick he needs to go to the hospital returns for that game seven against the Pacers. He wins that game for him, gives him the game ball and all of that. Like this, I didn't know. I never knew that nugget about Jordan toward Gus, the security guard kind of just became like his closest friend. Uh, the wife drops the thing, the little note where he's saying Jordan after his dad died would call Gus at like two in the morning sobbing. Like this guy that like had, like was the most recognizable athlete and maybe person in the world for a, uh, or celebrity in the world for a long stretch of time. Uh, just like, Obviously, I imagine he doesn't have any like natural friends just because of the way his lifestyle is. But like, I just found it interesting. He like that relationship with the security guard. Uh, it, yeah, it definitely held on to him Jordan. forever, man. Yeah, I mean, it definitely humanized him more than any other thing uh, did in this documentary. That was probably the, I think, the coolest piece of it uh, was their relationship. Yeah, no, I, like, I, I like totally of the agree. story, not not the doc. The documentary was awesome and, and well done, but like the the most unique and coolest part of the story, say from the flu game, not actually being the flu, was his relationship with the security guard. Because the whole time you're seeing this guy who had to give you a warning before it aired because people were going to think he was an asshole and how he treated people and held grudges and everything that was said to him was a slight in this uber competitor with a gambling addiction and just all of these these vices and these negatives and he befriends this curly-haired security guard for life and it's just so opposite of what his persona when it comes to basketball tells you he is yeah it was i thought that the way they captured that was awesome and then like the the note about him coming back before game 7 of the 98 eastern conference finals and Jordan using that as motivation when he's really just kind of exhausted and running out of things to motivate him was uh, was pretty fascinating, which kind of plays into the next note I had. I only got a couple of these left, but like, you know, one of these reasons why these dynasties break up and never last as long as you think they do in the present moment is it's absolutely exhausting. I mean, I felt did you not feel tired by the end of this documentary? Just them being in the spotlight that long sands like two a year and a half where he goes to play bat- baseball like. Yeah, like you can argue about breaking it up and would they want a seventh title, but you could just tell they were all exhausted. And being in that spotlight and being the number one show in town in the second most popular sport in America for that long is just absolutely exhausting. I mean, you see it with the Warriors and Kevin Durant leaving. Like these things never last as long as you think they do because it's hard. I mean, it's 100 game seasons for however long your run is if you keep making it to the finals. You're in the spotlight all the time. Like one of the like I guess traits that you never really talk about is like one of the things that separates dynasties and just good teams is like 
like the ability to have the stamina to be in the spotlight that long and just not let it erode you or your chemistry or just kind of have all these other f ups is uh is impressive. But like I just I just remember watching the end of it. I was like I kind of feel tired watching this. I mean you could tell they were exhausted by the end of that run, but. Just being in that spotlight all the time, you see why these dynasties never last as long as you think they're going to in the present moment. Because it is hard to kind of keep at it and keep going and kind of stay together when you're in the spotlight and under that microscope all the time. Yeah, which um, I guess not related to the documentary, but makes what New England and Belichick and Brady did so impressive. The fact that that didn't break, that breakup didn't happen much sooner is remarkable in and of itself. Yeah, and there's all kinds of stories. I mean, the deflate gate thing, the Tom Brady Garoppolo thing at the end, all kinds of different stuff. Uh, you know, Spygate at the beginning of it, but them hanging Brady out to dry and deflate gate. So much stuff that didn't break them. That's a perfect example of it. I mean, it is hard to stay in that the whole time. Uh, and, you know, one of, the, I mean, talk about, talk about kind of one of the distractions that was the note I had after that. Dennis Rodman again, like, I mean, Rosillo and Bill Simmons were kind of the first ones onto this. Him going to the WWE thing uh, and skipping practice, either what it was before or after game three of the finals, it's just like, and he says the same thing again. He's like, Phil knew I had to do me. I was just being me. It's like, no, man, like, you can't go do WWE in game three of the finals. Like, that's just, like, Dennis Rodman just became, like, I see why he's so tiresome, but I just, I don't think there's some deeper element to Rodman that we don't understand because he can't even explain it himself. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I was talking to some buddies about this last night, and I, I I might just be turning into Max Kellerman. I don't find him interesting. No, I don't. I don't either. It's just like you don't understand me. It's like, okay, explain it, please. So oh, tell us. I, I can't. Like, oh, and then everybody, oh, look at this picture after the NBA Finals. Like, you can't get cooler than this. He's smoking a cigar and sitting next to Carmen Electra. It's like. Every team that wins a championship every year has some smoking hot model waiting for them when they get in the locker room. Like that's not, that doesn't make him cool. I, I don't. I just nothing about him draws me to him. The guy's got he clearly got mental issues. Like yeah, he's got crazy hair and oh wow, he dated a supermodel because uh, professional athletes date supermodels and he's really freaking like just weird and he's a loose cannon with mental issues. That doesn't interest me at all. I, I kind of feel bad for the guy in a way. Yeah, I mean, he's a great story. He had a kind of traumatic childhood, traumatic upbringing, small college. It's an incredible story. I just don't find the 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 drama side of Rodman interesting. Oh, no, uh, announcers were a lot more harsh back then. I didn't even have this as a note, but I do have this. Uh, I do have this. I think it was Bob Costas, maybe, who was on the call for one of these games. But, like, he got a big rebound or he made a big shot or something, and they were talking about, like, on the court he's such and such, but as his tired as his tired dog and pony show continues off the court, just, like, absolutely slammed Rodman with this one-liner during one of those games, and it just seemed like announcers were harsher back then. But you could tell even from some of the broadcast clips that, like, everyone was kind of getting tired of Rodman by that point. Yeah, they, I wish they kind of would do things like this now, though. Like when Harden does his BS where he tries, he pretends like he's blocking somebody out but sticks his ass out and gets the like makes the guy fall on his back and then pretends he got fouled. I wish announcers would straight up just call that out and, and talk about it openly instead of, oh, well, Harden got fouled there. And you can tell like under their breath they really want to say what it was, but they don't. I just I wish they would be open about that kind of stuff. I agree. And the last thing I had kind of sort of along those lines, they, uh, the playing Jordan clips on the iPad that he hasn't seen yet before was maybe one of my favorite parts of the documentary. That was such a smart idea 
just whatever. Like, I mean, they, they and all the ones they did were like perfect moments to do it. But just him reacting in live action as the clips being played on the iPad for him is like it, it generated a, a priceless reaction every single time they did it. That was great stuff. Yeah, interviewing everybody else but him first. That's just brilliant. I've never seen that before. Like, maybe it's a documentary style. I have not seen that, though, to where the subject of the documentary got to see what everybody else said about it first. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, I, I love that. Like, the, it just generated such, like, because you can't, I mean, I guess you can fake it, but like the, the, it just seems like, to me, the odds of you getting an actual, genuine, like, real-life reaction significantly go up when you do that and like you he, they seem to generate one every time i uh i loved it uh that's all the notes i had Did anything else stick out i mean all in all just incredibly well done i thought that was amazing i feel more as someone again who didn't grow up uh getting to witness all this the first time it happened i feel a lot more educated on michael jordan and kind of understand him you know the character the basketball player the human a hell of a lot more than i did before and um Back to what he said before the the documentary aired about how he would think, uh, or he was worried that people would think he's an asshole. Um, If he acted the way he did today, there's no chance it's well-received, right? No, different time, different climate. Uh, I mean, and just the the, the golf thing wouldn't fly, like with social media and all of that. Like he kind of had this, even as the most recognizable athlete on earth, for a while, you know, without social media and some of these alternate forms of media just being in their infancy stages, he still had just kind of a veil of privacy that I don't feel like you would get today. And like, even and that coupled with like kind of the asshole teammate stuff, I don't think it would be received well today. But again, if he wanted the same level, I think at the end of the day, it'd be harder to question it. They would just face more scrutiny along the way. Yeah, I just, I see... Yeah, the same people that love the way he acted, and I keep thinking in my head, if this was today, if this was LeBron acting like this, you would hate it. Oh, uh, yeah, you only like it because him. it's Jordan. Uh, Skip Bayless, I haven't checked the TV. I'm going to do this oh, as soon God. as we're done recording. I'm sure he's peaking this morning. Uh, this is over. This is his last chance. Like, like, this is his last. Like, this is Skip Bayless's peak. This documentary ten part just ended. Uh, so I can't wait to see his LeBron takes. I'm definitely going to spend 45 minutes of my day watching that nonsense. But all in all, I think that's about all we had for today. Solid Monday show. Sports are coming back. We're kind of getting closer to normal. Um, felt like a more normal weekend. But yeah, uh, Borky and I will be back at this on Wednesday. We'll be on radio. Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 p.m. Before we get out of here, I'll remind you one more time. Go check out LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you want to throw something on the grill, this is the absolute best place to do it. Go stop by and see Greg. He can help you decide what you want to put on the grill. Steaks, custom cuts, all kinds of sausages. Greg's got always just some incredible cut of meat going on over there. Daily specials. But it is grilling season. There's no better time to uh, throw something on the grill. Enjoy the nice weather, socially distance response. We all have that go. Let Greg help you decide what you want to put on the grill. LB's university Avenue across from Kroger. Like I said, Borky and I'll be on radio this afternoon, three to 6 PM sports on Mississippi. We'll be back at it with a Wednesday podcast. And until then we will catch you on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.